Fargo's fifth episode deals with moral dilemmas. Today we're talking about episode five of Fargo and six ungraspables. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to the ongoing discussion of fargo today we're on to episode five the six ungraspables which i cannot tell you how many times i tried to record this because ungraspables is very difficult to say very formally and also because i kept mistaking it for the sixth episode but that would just be too convenient so uh yeah there's a lot going on in this episode i think it's very well written and without any further ado let's get started since episode one we've been waiting for someone anyone to get a hold of Lester, someone to give him a proper interrogation or some force of nature to take him down. And up until this point, this episode looks like our best shot, because not only is Lester in custody with two gangsters, Molly may finally have enough to turn to the chief's ear. The episode opens with a brief flashback that shows us how Lester got his shotgun, and how the murderers at home appeared from his perspective, and the shotgun pellet that ended up in his hand, and a very gross time-elapsed video as it gets infected. Cut to Numbers and Wrench interrogating Lester, who gives up Malvo's name and his alleged location, Duluth. And either infection or stress causes him to puke. Meanwhile, Molly and Gus are working on the case from different angles. Molly decides to bring in all of her evidence to Chief Oswald, who, hearing it, agrees they should talk to Lester, and reveals he's in custody. In Duluth, Gus is trying to find anything he can online about Frank Peterson and Lorne Malvo, and very oddly, nothing comes up for Malgo, like he's a ghost. On Stavros's end, Malvo makes his final push towards his endgame by trying to get Stavros to confess. He doesn't. And locking his compatriot Chumpf in his pantry. In case you get cold feet, he says. Stavros goes to get the money and send, sends Malvo on his way. Malvo says some more cryptic-ish stuff about wolves because of course he does. Back in investigation land, Gus and Molly have hit two very different moral dilemmas. Gus isn't sure how to handle a man like Malvo and looks to his neighbor for advice, who tells a long parable. In Bemidji, Molly discovers Lester has a life-threatening infection and desperately tries to get him confess when he's half-lucid. When she finds out that the pellet in his hand was a shotgun pellet with fabric in it, she investigates Lester's house without a warrant and finds nothing. She also learns that Vern's widow has given birth. Gus still can't sleep, though, and goes for a drive. He's almost run over by Malvo, who then tracks him back to his home and threatens his neighbor. Gus and Molly then agree to continue collaborating. And finally, Molly shoes away her co-workers and meets with Ida and her daughter Bernadette. In a last-ditch effort after a conversation with Ida, Molly goes to Lester's room and stares at him as Lester pretends to be asleep. So let's start with the Fargo stuff. What I find so interesting about this episode is how it lays out so much about our characters that also gives them a ton of distance from the original film. I'll phrase it another way. How would Marge Gunderson react if she couldn't catch the killers? The film, understandably, doesn't challenge as Marge's worldview outside of go with your instincts a bit more and don't trust everything everyone tells you. But from her perspective, all of the fuss over a little bit of money clearly didn't work out because everyone is either arrested or dead. But Molly has consistently had the right guy, amazing detective work, and can't seem to catch a break. It is maddening how close she keeps getting and is clearly getting to her. More on that later, though. 
This episode also introduces a Cohen-esque element we haven't seen before, a long metaphorical story. No Country for Old Men, for instance, famously ends on a down note as Tommy Lee Jones's sheriff recounts a dream he that he had. That may as well say, this is the theme of the movie, now go home. In this episode's case, the story comes from Gus's neighbor, who's trying to tell him not to carry the moral weight of the world on his shoulders, and that a guy like Malvo will disappear in time. Which brings us to the title. The Six Ungraspables refers to a Zen Buddhist cone. A monk's Ask Uman, what is the Dharmakaya? Uman told him the six ungraspables, the graspables being the five senses and the mind. I've tried to find interpretations of this and combine them into one that works for me. For me, the title indicates that all of our characters are either off or either their minds, morals, instincts, or bodies are failing them, which in turn makes them restless and more reckless. They're searching for answers and aren't finding them. And the result is a near existential crisis for many of them. We'll start with Molly. This is the first episode where the audience sees cracks in Molly's demeanor. We've seen her frustrated very subtly, but she's always been professional, by the book, and just gone on her instincts. And it's starting to eat at her. So much so that she confronts Chief Oswald with all of her evidence and demands to talk to Lester. And just when she finally gets through to Oswald, they find Lester in need of immediate medical attention due to his gunshot wound. Literally, a piece of the crime is defending him. She's so desperate that she does something silly. She directly asks Lester if he hired Malvo to kill Sam Hess, which almost any decent lawyer would get this thrown out. Lester's reply only makes her hungrier for answers. I never paid him. And when the doctor tells Molly that the bullet had fragment in it, something it would only have if it went through something or someone, Molly goes grossly out of character. She heads to Lester's house without a warrant. What follows is so cruel to the audience and Molly. She notices the, the washing machine and sees it's out of place. She even guesses Lester's original hiding spot. But the murder weapon, the hammer, isn't there. Her instincts failed her this time. When she returns to the hospital, we understand why she went to this length. She meets Ida and her new baby Bernadette, who is named based on Vern's wishes. It's a lovely moment of sweetness that could only be better if the father was alive to celebrate. Something which Molly gets a harsh reminder of when Ida asks if Molly's found the man who killed Vern. The pain in Molly's eyes as she says she's trying is heartbreaking perfection from Allison Tolman. In a last-ditch effort, she heads to Lester's room, but he knows she's watching, so he pretends he's asleep. Another dead end. In Duluth, Gus is dealing with a different kind of problem. He doesn't know how to handle Lorne Malvo, conceptually or from a how-do-we-get-rid-of-this-guy kind of way. His very nice neighbor tries to put his mind at ease by telling him a parable about a man who gave away everything he had, including his life, to make the world a better place. When Gus doesn't get it, his neighbor tells him that only a foolish man thinks he can solve the world's problems. And Gus, as straightforward as ever, says, But you've got to try, don't you? It's these two character journeys that really sum up what the show is about. Lorne Malvo is an existential evil, a malicious predator who is only interested in death and destruction and is seemingly unstoppable. And his influence and actions are an immediate challenge to our characters' worldviews. For Molly, it means her sense of justice and her faith in law enforcement as a concept is shaking, hence why she broke the rules. If the system worked how it should work, Lester would be in jail, and she would be able to tell Ida she caught him. But that hasn't happened. 
For Gus, he seems shaken by how inhuman a human man like Malvo is, and feels a deep moral obligation to stop him, despite numerous failed attempts to do so, and knowing how dangerous he is. Even if he can't stop Malvo right now, he's gotta try, right? He doesn't know any other way, and maybe trying is what matters. And speaking of Malvo, is he losing his mojo? What I find fascinating is that this is the first episode where Malvo's methods aren't working as expected. He tries to get Stavros to admit something, but he doesn't. He's able to lock Dan at a pantry, yet another person whose instincts are off, but he doesn't have a read on Stavros he thinks he does. He gives him a speech about the Romans and wolves again, but and how there aren't any saints, but he's only pushing Stavros further towards his eventual faith-based decision. He pushed this guy too far, and unlike his beloved wolves, he's not going to get to take this one down. Even his attempts to intimidate bystanders don't work. When he camps outside Gus's building, he's approached by Gus's neighbor, the same one who told him the story earlier, and he's the neighborhood watch leader. And Malvo gives him the spiel. He makes a crack about him being Jewish. He talks about how lax security outside windows on second floors of buildings like this is. He assumes, like Gus, that'll be enough to intimidate him. But it's not. Gus's neighbor immediately recognizes Malvo for what he is, tells him he'll call the cops over and over again, and calls him a Yiddish word for demon. And Malvo, for once, does as he's told and drives off. I really like this moment because it demonstrates that despite the story Gus was told not to take the weight of the world on his shoulders, Gus's neighbor didn't mean to abandon your morals or stop defending people. He knows there's demons like Malvo out there, and he'll happily defend his community from them. And then we've got Lester, a feckless idiot. At first glance, the opening scene might seem superfluous, something you could easily cut to focus on the gunshot wound or cut straight to Lester's interrogation. But I think it summarizes everything you need to know about Lester, because Lester is allergic to agency. I think we kind of knew this, because what kind of idiot would be convinced to kill their wife because a scary guy called him a gorilla? But the opening demonstrates how chronic this problem has been for Lester. Lester's shopping trip should be very easy. He should go in, grab some socks, pay for them, and go about his day. If the store owner asks him how much he's willing to pay for socks, he should give them the price he's willing to pay and move on. Instead, he ends up with socks and a shotgun at a $50 upsell. The same shotgun that is now threatening to end his life and send him to jail for murder because he couldn't decide on whether or not to go to a hospital and bite the bullet, literally or figuratively, or cut it out himself. We need to see what an indecisive idiot Lester has to understand what his turn in the next episode really means. And finally, some little bits that I like. So this won't happen for every episode, but here's a few bits for me that stood out. I think it's very cool that this episode was directed by Colin Hanks. This isn't something that an anthology show like this tends to do. It's more something you see in ongoing shows where the cast remains the same. And it's nice to see Hanks branching out his skill set. I really like how Chief Oswald actually listens to Molly in this episode, both with the investigation and by moving the raucous cop party away from Ida's room. And the performance by Glenn Howerton as he's bolted into the, into the pantry is dumb perfection. Watching the wound occur and age is both gross and a great visual. And the shot, the final shot of Lester opening his eyes with Molly over his shoulder out of focus is perfection. It really puts you in the headspace and captures that distance. It's just a great shot. So that's the summary of the fifth episode, The Six Ungraspables. I hope you've enjoyed it, and be sure to join us for future episodes, including number six coming up next. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. 
Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.